Woman, how does your concern affect me? I can't get away with calling my mom woman. Of course, I'm also not God incarnate, so I guess I shouldn't expect that. But we read that and it strikes us as very odd. Like, how would God, how would Jesus ever call Mary woman? To us, it strikes us as rude, as snarky. But is God being rude here? No, Jesus is not being rude. Jesus is being the redeemer of the world. Right? When we read this in the context of the Gospel of John, which begins with the words, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, we realize from the very first words of the Gospel what John is doing. He's mirroring, what were the first words of Genesis again? In the beginning. He's showing us the recreation of a new humanity. That this begins with Jesus Christ. He who was in the beginning, who was with God, who was God. God made man and Jesus Christ makes all things new. And here when he calls Mary woman, he's going to the very front of Scripture and the very end of Scripture. He goes to that first woman Eve and then In Revelations 12, that woman that appears in the sky. When he calls Mary woman, we need to pay attention. Because there he's marking her as the new Eve. Because humanity hit its reset button with her and the Redeemer that she brought forth. And so here we see something profound. We see the new Eve, Mary, and the new Adam, Jesus. And just as in the first great tragedy of humanity, it was Eve who brought the fruit to Adam. And then both sinned. And the fall of humanity began and echoed throughout the centuries. Now you have the new Eve coming up to the new Adam and saying... It is time. It is time for us, for you, but me, in participating in a marvelous way, to be able to redeem. It was all set in motion at that beautiful moment when Jesus had his first public miracle. But what we see in Jesus and Mary is a perfect love. And it's that perfect love that we need to reflect on today because our experiences of love are beautiful, but they're not perfect, right? And so we need to reflect on perfect love because sometimes we carry a lot of wounds from imperfect love, from those moments that we were desiring love and ended up just getting used. We were desiring love and we ended up getting ignored, neglected, hurt. So we need to frequently think of perfect love and that perfect love is shown in the gaze between Jesus and Mary in this crucial moment when Jesus who is God incarnate is able to look with love at Mary who is the perfect symbol of the church and show us there that perfect love for which we yearn which is that love that God bears for us and that we are called to give back to him. Every experience of love that we have ever had has been some kind of reflection or echo of that love. 
Every relationship that we've ever had or ever will have is meant to be a reflection of that one primary relationship of the God who loves our souls and our souls that yearn for him. So we see in Jesus and Mary this love of mother and son. But we see that they are the new Adam and the new Eve, and so we see the redemption of every kind of love. Love between spouses, love within a family, among the members of that family, intergenerational love, love for friends. All of those loves are reflections of the love from God to us and the love that he desires from us back for him. And what does that love look like? Well, we read in the first reading from the 62nd chapter of Isaiah, For the Lord delights in you and makes your land his spouse. As a young man marries a virgin, your builder shall marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices in his bride, so shall your God rejoice in you. And that needs to be our foundation. The fact that God, the creator of the universe delights in me. We don't often think that way. We think he tolerates me, right? He has allowed me to keep on existing either for some sick game that he's playing or because he doesn't notice how bad I am or because he just doesn't care. But no, if for a moment he stopped caring, if for a moment he stopped delighting in you, you would be no longer. He actually delights in you, rejoices in you, Not just because of who you could be, but because of who you are right now, too. See, very often we don't delight in ourselves or rejoice at ourselves. We we look in the mirror and just think, okay, this is how you failed up to this point. This is how you're going to fail today. And uh, this is how you're going to be marked a failure tomorrow. That's how we often look at the situation. God doesn't. Yeah, he knows the failures. He knows the ones that you don't even notice. Right? He's got all the dirt and then some, and yet he delights in you, rejoices in you, because you're his kid. Right? So for all the faults that you may have, for all of the failed relationships that, that may haunt you, for all of the, the ways that you have maybe marred the image of God that you carry, he still looks at you and says, there's so much goodness, I just wish you saw it. I wish that you let that goodness give you hope. That you can keep getting better and better and better instead of feeling like you are in this downward trajectory forever and ever. So that relationship has to be primary. The relationship between us and our God. Because all of the other ones at one point or another are going to disappoint. Right? Our kids, we love them so much, but we might get to a point where it's like, man, I just really don't want to see them today. That's terrible. What kind of mother? What kind of father am I? But nope, just don't want to see him. I mean, the next day they do want to see you, but there are days like that, kids. Sorry. You, as kids, probably have twice as many days where you're like, I just don't want to see my parents today. But in that sacred relationship of parent and child, faults come in. Between spouses, same thing. Friends, siblings, I don't have to list all of them. We know that every single relationship we have at some point ends up being broken. And that's why we need that one relationship with God to be our anchor, to be what allows us to realize there's at least one person who knows me perfectly and and, and sees all of the faults and loves me 
in such a way that I can start learning how to love myself. There is one who knows me, knows my potential, and so calls me to greatness, but is so patient with me as it seems I keep stumbling on that way. And so it's within the context of that one primary relationship that should be so important for us that we would sacrifice every other relationship for the sake of this one. It's in the context of that that I want to reflect on some other relationships. And specifically, since we just read of a wedding at Cana, we might reflect on that second most important relationship in most people's lives, right? That second most important relationship is your marriage. Sorry, kids, you come third. (laughs) Because you want your parents to be a united front in loving you, right? And so spouses, so often life gets so busy and there's this thought of like, oh no, how are we going to keep these little creatures alive? (laughs) That you forget the primary relationship is with God. The secondary relationship is with each other. Third comes anything else. Because it was to each other that those vows were made. It was was through each other that God wants to perfect us. Often through like smoothing out the rough edges. But we can reflect on the relationship between spouses today using the beautiful image that was given to us in the gospel of wine. The head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves good wine first, and then when people have drunk freely, an inferior one. But you have kept the good wine until now. Everyone serves the good wine first. Oh, that honeymoon was so great. Oh, the period when I first started falling in love. It was magical. Fireworks everywhere. We were drinking that good wine, right? It was great. Then... We drank through all the good wine. And then came the inferior one. And it was like, okay, well, I guess this is what marriage is. Rough patches. But then, perhaps, even the inferior wine ran out. And it's at this point that we start to panic. And I don't want to speak to every situation, because every situation is going to be different. So anytime that we bring up marriage, there's a lot of... Nervous shuffling in the pews of thinking like, is he judging me because my marriage broke down? Is he judging me because, you know, we're just going through a lot right now? No, absolutely not. Not for a second. Because every single one of us, as I mentioned, has broken relationships. That's just part of being in a fallen world. And so no matter what has happened in your life up to this point, this reflection is not meant to judge you but to give you hope for relationships going forward. And so, maybe this is what's happened. Good wine was great at first. We just loved being around each other. Inferior wine, okay. Not the biggest fan of this person. And maybe even the inferior wine ran out and you felt, I feel nothing. And at that point, we have sometimes a choice to make. If you're at that point right now, you might have that choice to make. What do I do? Do I go the way of the world and say, well, we gave it our best shot when really maybe you didn't. Maybe you didn't try to fix it. You just thought, if I don't feel good feelings toward this person right now, I'm going to leave. There's another option. Right? There's the option that this couple 
ended up being able to take. And that is when you've run out of wine, when you have nothing left to give, you ask for help. Right? Marriage isn't a competition of like, let's see if we can do better than all these other couples. Like, no, this is a team effort. Right? The reason why you get married in the church, in this community, is because this community is meant to exist to help each other out. You're not all of these separate little islands. We're supposed to be helping each other out to have strong marriages, to have good families, to be able to love selflessly when it's difficult because it's always difficult. And so we ask for help. First of all, we ask for help with our Lord. In daily prayer, we say, God, I want to be the type of person that I always dreamed of being, that kind of selfless, loving uh, spouse and parent. And and I'm just, I feel like I'm failing at it and I just need your help. To be able to honestly come to the Lord each day, but to realize the Lord wants to work through other people too. And so to look at all the resources at your disposal, whether it be counseling or therapy, those are ways that the Lord can work to heal you. Too often we despise that. We say, no, 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 that's for other people. No, no, God will heal me directly. Sure, he can. But why tie his hands like that? Why say, God, you can't work through other people to help me? Sometimes it takes just talking through things with a third person present. Sometimes it takes asking for advice for people that, you know, maybe have gone through something similar. So we go to prayer to our Lord. We look at all of the resources that we have at our disposal to be able to allow our marriages to flourish. And then we ask in a special way for Mary's help. Because she was the one that instigated this first miracle. And she can work a miracle for you too. And so we turn to Mary in prayer. And we say, Mary, we need your help. Ask for help. And then why was the help available? Once they asked Mary, how was it that she was able to go to Jesus right away? Jesus was invited. Do we invite Jesus into our marriages as this couple invited Jesus to their wedding? Do we invite him in by having daily prayer together? There's so much power in spouses praying together, even though it's awkward at first. To be able to out loud pray about what's going on in your heart next to maybe the person that is the source of some of that pain. But to be able to out loud pray for each other, to out loud pray together for your children, for whatever preoccupies you, whatever worries you may have, there's such power in that because at that moment you're inviting Jesus in. You're saying, Jesus, I want you to be present here so that when I uh, go to all the resources available, when I ask Mary for help, she can turn immediately (laughs) to you. And amplify my prayers and be an intercessor with all of heaven for this beautiful thing, which is our marriage. So ask for help. Invite Jesus in. And then follow Mary's advice. What did Mary say? What were her last words in all of scripture that we read today? Do whatever he tells you. And here it's like, Mary, okay, that's ridiculous. He's telling me to pour water into jars. How's that going to help? We need wine. And that's the way that we often look at church teaching regarding marriage and family. We think the church doesn't know what she's talking about, right? 
She's telling us to pour water into stone jars, but we need wine. What does the church know about how I should raise my family? What does church teaching have to say about how big or small my family might be? How open to life I might be? How my, I treat my spouse? How I treat my children? What does the church have to say about that? Turns out there's a lot. <laughs> and turns out that what seems ridiculous to us at first is often the very way that God works his miracles. When we get to that point of desperation of having no wine, we can turn to him in prayer, look at all the resources available, ask for Mary's intercession, and then do whatever he tells you. And he speaks through his church. So to look in a fresh way at church teaching on this and to say like, okay, even though this seems ridiculous to me right now, I'm going to study up on this. I want to know why the church teaches what she teaches so that I can then do whatever God tells me through his mouthpiece, the church. And it's at that point that we're able to expect miracles. But the miracles come through us doing the work, right? Hard work pouring that water into six big old purifying vessels. It's not just that we sit back and say, like, all right, God, fireworks time. Now you've got to fix my marriage. No, it's, okay, God, now you're going to fix my marriage, and you know how you're going to do it? Through me. You're going you're gonna to do it through me, loving in a more heroic way. You're going to do it through me, putting forth the work of trying to do what you tell me to do. It's going to be through us looking at all the resources that we have available. It's going to be through us praying together, really turning to you in a new and ever-renewed way. And so there's hope. Because God makes new wine. And the new wine is actually better than the wine that you had at first. Right? You look back at the glory days of your relationship and you think it'll never be that good. Correct. It won't. It might be better. Because God gives new wine. And we can think of what is the new wine that he wants to give to me. Is it the new wine of deeper reserves of patience than I ever had before? Is it new wine of having a deepened understanding of my spouse? Here we can digress for a second just to look at the second reading. Where St. Paul says to the Corinthians, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit. Different forms of service, but the same Lord. Different workings, but the same God who produces all of them and everyone. What is the point of this for marriage? Your spouse is different from you. Maybe you've spent the last few decades wishing they weren't. Maybe you've thought, man, why can't he just understand that this is how he's supposed to do things? Sorry, he might not change. She might not change. But you can change in your expectations. You can realize he has different gifts than I do. She has different gifts than I do. Maybe I can start appreciating those gifts. Maybe we can even talk about these things. How is it that you express love? Oh, works of service. That's great. That's not even on my radar. My love is it's a words of affirmation. You never say anything nice about me. Well, let's see. How do we all express love? To have that new wine of deepened understanding of greater patience, of whatever it may be, but trust that the new wine can come. Thank God for your relationship today, even if it is at that point of having no wine left. Because with God, there's always hope. With God, you can turn to him and say, I invite you into my marriage at this moment. I invite you into all of my relationships, but especially that one. I ask, dear Lord Jesus, that you may work a miracle. 
that you may give me that new wine that I need because I want to love my spouse with a love as fierce and tender as the love that you show for me on the cross.